Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRNAM for Friday, July 8th, 2022. And our top story today, retirement preparation and the differences by race and ethnicity. Well, joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Andrew Biggs is a senior fellow with the American Enterprise Institute. Andrew, good morning. So good to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And this is, I think this is really instructive information. We're talking about a paper that you and AEI and others put together to talk about some of the differences when you look at the population here in the U.S. by race, by ethnicity, et cetera. Can you give us some high level points and we can kind of unpack the, the report? I, and I know it's very voluminous. It's going to be linked to the, in the show below, but just some high level points that we should take away from this. Well, obviously, over the past, you know, several years, but even leading up to that, you know, we've had a, a renewed and increased focus on race in America, on differences by race, inequalities by race, obviously dealing with, you know, social, economic issues, crime issues, but also financial issues. And retirement is one of the, the key uh, financial issues facing households, and many people are worried about it. And so I was interested in looking at retirement income adequacy by race and looking at differences. Uh, between whites, blacks, and Hispanics in various aspects of retirement. And the, the, the key parts are, are not controversial. I mean, it's if you look at retirees today, uh, whites have substantially higher savings, substantially higher incomes than blacks and Hispanics do. But the question is, why does that happen? And you know, one explanation is that you know whites are better at saving for retirement than blacks or Hispanics. It doesn't it doesn't mean a you know a moral thing, but it might mean, for instance, uh, less availability of 401ks at jobs that blacks and Hispanics have, less financial education. But another explanation is that blacks and Hispanics are saving you know more or less as they should if you look at the principles of economics, the principles of financial planning. But the differences in retirement income simply reflect the fact that they have different uh, lower incomes during their working years. You know, so they're saving the, you know, the, the right percentage of their income, but their pre-retirement earnings are just a lot lower. So it's trying to look at those issues and, and, and kind of get some answers. But obviously in doing that, it, it raises other issues of how you look at retirement income adequacy, how you measure these kinds of things. Yeah. And I want to talk in our second segment, just for the audience's benefit, we'll talk about maybe some solutions and how to inform our policymakers in Washington, D.C., and elsewhere at the state level as well about how to improve these things. But let me, you bring up education, and maybe, if you don't mind, I, I just want to start there for a second, because there has been a movement afoot here in the, in the U.S. to get more and more states helping to improve financial literacy education. Is that, and you seem to infer this, but I want to make sure I'm clear, is that um, a big part of this disparity? Is that outside of income, which we'll get to in a second, that maybe people are not as well informed or educated and, and we need to take better steps in, do, in, uh, in doing that. Well, I think you know, I, I'm in favor of increased uh, financial literacy education. You know, I, th I think the question is when you know when do you do it? Um, you know, some people say just have a year of financial education, financial literacy during high school. 
that may help, but you may also want to think of how do we make it available to people as they need it throughout their lives. Um, you know, you, you learn about mortgages when you're going to buy a home, you know, you learn about taxes when you start really paying a lot of taxes. So a lot of it is just in time education. I think we want to do what we can on that front. At the same time, you know, the conclusion I came to is the differences in retirement incomes and savings by race are probably not driven heavily by differences in financial literacy. Um, I'm, I'm sure you can find those differences in the data, but I, I think it, it's that's not the major factor we're looking at. I think we're looking at just differences in, in financial ability to save, difference in earnings um, during people's working careers. That's a huge driver of where things end up in old age. And Andrew, I mean, we all start in different phases, right? I mean, we're, we're born, we don't get to pick our family members, right? We don't get to pick our parents. But over time, over generations, do things start to even out? So for example, you may start here, and I don't even know what percentage it is, but you may start at a certain level. But if you <clears throat> generationally, are there signs that things can improve over time? Oh, I think, I think there are. Um, you know, if you look at well, however bad the inequalities are today between races and you, you know, you can pick whatever measure you want to pick, they are, are a lot less bad today than they were in the past. So, you know, that doesn't mean we, we shouldn't be upset about these things and try to address them. But at the same time, I, I think it's sort of irresponsible when we present that things are just getting worse and worse and worse. They're not. Um, the, the really, a lot of uh, Black Americans, Hispanic Americans are really succeeding today. And and, you know, achieving the American dream of, of coming in better off or ending up being better off than, than your parents or grandparents were. So we're making progress. And, you know, I, in doing this paper, I used a you know, pretty sophisticated economic model projecting retirement incomes into the future. And I think that uh, at least, you know, based on the best guess is that inequality is going to continue to shrink in the future. But even if you go out two or three decades, it's likely we're still going to see inequality in retirement incomes between Blacks, Whites, and Hispanics. And so partly what I was thinking about is, you know, we're making progress, but where, where do these disparities come from? Yeah. Uh, Andrew, what about adequacy of access? And, and uh, you know, you, you have long been in the retirement um, uh, data, I don't know, economic game where you've done a lot of thought-provoking pieces. Uh, and there are different models out there to help people gain access. There are maybe, you know, it varies by who, who you talk to, but there are maybe tens of millions of Americans who don't have access to a 401k type plan. And there are different models to do that. But what about adequacy of access? That seems to be an important piece as well. Yeah, I mean, I've favored um, proposals in the past, you know, for the federal government to offer sort of an IRA or 401k type plan to everybody so that, you know, whether your employer offers one or not, you have access to retirement plan at work. I mean, all of us can save in an IRA, but, you know, research has found that people are much more likely to save if they have it at work, somebody can help them sign up. The contributions are automatically deducted from, from their, their paycheck. At the same time, though, I, I think sometimes we overstate, you know, the retirement coverage gap, is it called? You know, sometimes people say, well, half of workers don't have access to a retirement plan at work. A lot of that is bad, based on data, which are not very good. Um, I think the, the better numbers, probably around 70% of workers uh, have access to some sort of retirement plan at work. 
Of the remaining 30%, though, some of them are, to be frank, very low income for whom saving for retirement is not going to be a, a huge priority for them. They're going to get a high replacement rate from Social Security, which means Social Security is going to replace most of their pre-retirement earnings. But you also have issues, say, where uh, one member of a, of a spousal couple will have access, the other won't. You know, the, the, the contribution limits for, for uh, 401ks are pretty high. So even if you, even if one spouse has um, access to retirement plan, the other spouse can sort of piggyback on it. The, the spouse who has the plan contributes more to make up for the fact that the spouse who doesn't um, can't. If you look at IRS data, over 80% of married couples today are actively participating in a retirement plan. Um, and that just shows how you can make that work. So you, we can patch things together and it's not a disaster, but at the same time, there's no reason not to give everybody the chance to do it at work. So I think we want to look at solutions that will provide that to people. Andrew, last question before we go to a commercial break. I want to ask about mortality. Um, we all have genetics. Uh, some of us are predisposed to maybe have a shorter lifespan. It's unfortunate, but we can do things health-wise to improve that, by the way, which we cover on this network. How much does longevity and mortality mm -hmm. impact your study and some of the work that you and the team have done? In this study, yeah, there's, there's this issue where um, essentially rich people live longer than, than poor people. And, you know, partly get differences by race and ethnicity, although those are not straightforward. Um, uh, blacks end up shorter lifespans than whites do. But Hispanics who are often low income, they actually live longer on average than, than whites do. But if you look simply by income, and we've seen this, you know, white working class idea of you know, deaths of despair, things like that, clearly you see that that lower income people tend to survive for a shorter period after retirement than high income people. And yeah, that's a that's not a good thing, obviously. But at the same time, if you're trying to calculate the adequacy of somebody's retirement savings, you do want to have some idea of how long they're actually going to need those savings for. Um, I'm pulling a number out of my head. I did some previous work on this, but I think the the life expectancy, say from beginning at age 65, of somebody who's in the bottom fifth of the income distribution is probably about 20 percent lower than somebody who's in the top fifth. So all else equal, that, that higher income person is going to need to provide an extra 20% simply to cover the longer lives they have. So these are a lot of things. Most of these studies that say, oh, low income people don't save enough, they don't account for the fact that, you know, realistically, they're not going to live as long. And so they, they, you, know, you just want to have some idea of what you need to provide for yourself. Well, Andrew, I need to take a very quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about what policymakers, regulators, people who have influence over the retirement system can take away from this study, you're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN AM. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? 
especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Are you over 50? Would you like to get up to 33% more income in retirement? Then call now for this free book, Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers. This free book reveals little-known secrets about annuity strategies that will help you make the right choices before buying an annuity. Call right now for your free book. And as a bonus, we'll also throw in a free annuity rate report, both absolutely free, for calling Annuity General today. Call 800-504-8194. Welcome back. We're talking this morning to Andrew Biggs of the American Enterprise Institute. Andrew, thanks so much for staying with us this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure. So really great analysis. And there are, look, let's face it, there are differences among race, ethnicity, et cetera, about how we save. But let's talk about informing policymakers. And by policymakers, I mean members of the Congress, the U.S. Senate, maybe the local uh, politicians who are crafting state policy, and also the regulators. What, what do we want them to know as they're crafting some of these newer policies? Well, you know, say Social Security is the foundation of retirement income for all Americans. For, for low-income Americans, it is, you know, the vast majority of the retirement income. We've known for 30 years that Social Security faces these demographic pressures that are going to cause it to go insolvent, yet for 30 years, Congress hasn't done anything. They really do need to get on top of this. That, you know, if you solve it at the last minute, it's going to cause a lot of disruption. The sooner you do it, the better. And so they really need to put the public interest over politics and get on top of that. Thinking about private retirement savings, you know, 401ks, pensions, things like that. I think it's really underestimated how well the United States has done in that respect. You know, people look back in the days when there are these, you know, defined benefit traditional pensions. The reality is very few people actually had those plans. They had strict vesting. So even fewer people actually collected benefits from them. If you look today, participation in retirement plans is up substantially. The contributions we make to those plans, you know, the share of our wages, that's up substantially. Uh, total retirement assets today are six, seven times higher than they were in the 1970s when traditional pensions you know, were roaming the earth like dinosaurs. More people in retirement are getting pension benefits. So the, we, we want to think about the successes of the system and how we build on the, those successes. And you know, we've got legislation today in both the House and the Senate trying to strengthen the retirement system. I think it does some good things, but to be honest, you can look in the, the, the scores of those plans done by you know, the Joint Tax Committee, and you can estimate how much they think it's actually going to increase retirement savings by Americans. And the answer is not very much. So we need to think big picture about making uh, retirement plans available to everybody and automatically enrolling people in those retirement plans. If you do that, 
most of the fears we have about a so-called retirement crisis, they just go away. Those are simple solutions that don't require an enormous amount of money. They're not that complicated to do. So I think Congress needs to kind of focus, keep his eye on the ball and say, what is really the most important thing here? And, and, and two questions. First, this circumstance, you know, America is aging, the population is aging, but these circumstances really are not unique to just America, right? I mean, there are countries mm-hmm. all around the globe China, parts of Asia, that Europe, that are aging. There are aging societies. The birth rate, candidly, is not is just not what it used to be for many for many reasons. Sure. So this is not not unique. But it just sounds like what you're articulating. It's so simple, and it really, you know, seems like an easy thing. And I know that that the policymakers have talked about different aspects to Secure 2.0, which is the follow up to the Secure Act. Uh, any, do you conceivably see that this gets uh, worked on throughout the summer mm-hmm. and, and possibly into the fall? Are we, are we doomed to uh, deal with the politics of uh, the midterms? Well, I think it's possible you'll have the Secure Act 2.0 passed um, before the midterms. It, you know, private retirement savings legislation tends to be bipartisan, which is very different from Social Security. But if you look, I, I wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal several months ago about the House version of the Secure 2.0, and from there you could, you know, you can back out the numbers and say that there's essentially no additional retirement savings that could be produced by this. You know, there's differences in you know. Required minimum distributions for people in retirement. But if you look at the actual effect of automatically enrolling people, there's very little. The Senate version is even weaker on that front. So these bills are sold to people in the sense of, well, we've got this retirement crisis, we need to save more. Then you look at it and say, well, how much additional savings is going on? The answer is not very much. So even if they pass this, there's still things they've got to do. But just going back to your, your, your initial question of you know, the fact that basically every developed country around the earth has these same problems. And so we really should look around the world and see how, how things are working. If you compare the U.S. to a lot of other countries, we are actually very good at retirement savings. You can look at data from the OECD and look at retirement plan assets. We do very well on that front. Our retirement incomes are also very high. I think these figures come from the World Bank, but you look at what's called the, the median disposable retirement income for, for retirees around the world. Our median typical retiree has a disposable income on par with Switzerland, you know, really at the very, very top of the world. Um, so it's it, people badmouth the U.S. retirement system. And, you know, obviously Congress is, doesn't always work very well on this stuff. But in a lot of ways, this informal system we have, we have innovations coming up through different providers, different ways of doing things. That's actually worked very well for us. Um, so we want to look at the, the downsides, but also the strengths that, that, that we can build on. Yeah, it's not it's not all bad. You know, we have a tendency to look at the glass half full or the glass uh, half empty. And it's it's kind of in between. Last question, Andrew. Um, what's the follow up to this? Is, is this a repetitive report that you will look at every couple of years? How do you follow up the research that you've done here? What's what's coming up next for you and the American Enterprise Institute as it relates to retirement. Sure. sure, there are other great reports coming out. 
Yes. Well, I mean, this report focused on race and retirement, but I'm actually in the process of hopefully soon completing a book that looks at the really the, the full kind of waterfront of retirement savings in the United States of seeing how far we've come, uh, what we need to do about not just Social Security, but things like state and local government pensions, which are underfunded, and to provide a more comprehensive look at things. Um, but I, I, I think there's really it's it's if you're a researcher, it's an amazingly interesting issue to work on. And surprisingly, there's a lot that you think you know that we don't really know. So there's a lot of correction myths that we have with our retirement system. Um, so I think uh, hopefully six months from now, you can go to your local bookstore and get the excitement of <laughs> the new publication from Andrew Beggs. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not sure that where the local bookstore is here, but I know that there are certainly <laughs> online booksellers Andrew Biggs, we're going to have to leave it there. So great to see you. Thanks so much for sharing your research, and we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. Hey, thank you very much. Happy to come anytime. Thanks, Andrew. Great to see you. Thanks for sharing your perspective. That wraps up this episode of BRN AM. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest security news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more, all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content? We'll visit our website and our streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for BRN Weekly, and we'll be taking a look back at some of our best segments for the week. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device. Are you being audited? And do you owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes? Is the IRS threatening to take more of your money? Don't fight the IRS alone. The Tax Doctor is here to help you negotiate your tax bill and reduce your stress. The IRS can freeze your assets and seize your bank accounts, but you can stop these IRS actions. The Tax Doctor will work with you using our years of experience to represent your case to help you get the best resolution under the IRS guidelines. Help is here to deal with the IRS to reduce your stress. We've handled thousands of cases, so we know what we're doing. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, do not call the IRS alone. Call a Tax Doctor now for a tax emergency analysis. Call 800-224-6439.